Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash Internet for details. Hi guys, I hope you're well. As always, we're really quickly going to run through this week's itinerary so you know exactly what we're going to be discussing on this episode of the Beautiful Game Podcast. So we were joined by a very special guest in Matt Jarvis who's plied his trade at the top level in the Premier League, playing for Wolves, for West Ham and for Norwich. We spoke a bit about the different injuries he's had throughout his career and that pivotal moment playing against Manchester City uh, for Norwich uh, a few years ago. And we also spoke about life off the pitch with uh, some of the initiatives that he's uh, been a part of um, and his uh, loving family. We also spoke about his England debut and the recent players initiative to fund the NHS in Players Together. Stay tuned. Hello listeners and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. As always, I'm your host Budge, joined by my faithful characters Dot and Dej, gents. How are we doing on this uh, very sunny afternoon? I'm good, Budge. I'm excited for this pod, so let's get started. Absolutely. How about you, Dej? How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm doing well. As you mentioned, you know, the sun's shining, so I'm just lounging outside on the garden. So, yeah, I'm all good. <laughs> Absolutely. Enjoying it. Fantastic. So, we, of course, have a fantastic episode uh, ahead of us. We've, we've got, um, you know, a very special guest uh, who is a former Premier League player who I think uh, our, our listeners and our followers would be most familiar with uh, because of his time uh, playing at Wolves between 2007 and, and, and 2012. Uh, where he uh, managed 164 games and 19 goals. Uh, He also had a stint at West Ham between 2012 and 2016, um, as well um, played uh, down at at Norwich. Um, He started his career at uh, uh, Millwall in in the youth ranks and and things really kicked off for him uh, during his stint at Gillingham. Uh, He actually recently signed for Woking on the 28th of February um, and scored his first goal for the team on his debut a day later. 
um so so uh this is this is a gent who's who's been playing um the game and, and plied his trade at the at the top level but f- because of his love of the game you know he, c- he can't give it up so he's still he's still sort of playing his trade he's still um uh, playing the, the beautiful game that we all we all love and adore um we also will be familiar with him because of his wand of a left foot you know marauding down the uh the left flank um, uh, on Premier League pitches. Without further ado, we welcome Matt Jarvis to the platform. Welcome, Matt. Welcome, 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 welcome. 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 Thank you very much. That's quite, a, that's quite a reception, so thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we really appreciate you uh, taking out the time. Of course, you know, you've, you've got a, a, a young family and, and lots of pets to, to see to. I imagine they're all, uh, you know, uh, are fighting for your time during this period. So, um, you know, we, we, we appreciate you, you taking out the time. Pleasure. Yes, it's quite a challenge. Uh, two kids and three dogs, but uh, I'm, I'm pleased to be on. I, I can only imagine. Right. So we're going to get things uh, kicked off. And, and where we want to start is at the beginning of your career, Matt. And what I want to ask is, you know, both of your parents were professional table tennis players, right? And and were ranked quite highly. I think both of them got to sort of uh, number one in uh, British rankings, right? And yeah. whilst you're at whilst you're at school, you were a, a county champion in in swimming and in athletics. So the first question I want to ask is why football? Hmm. Um, football was always the the number one uh, for me. Always, I you know, I, if I ever had to pick, it was always going to be football. But at the time when I was uh, at school, I just loved everything about it, like the competing, the training, everything. So I used to do every single day after school. I had something. Sometimes I had two things. Like Monday would be swimming, uh, Tuesday football and swimming, Wednesday athletics and cross country, Thursday football and swimming, Friday um, athletics, Saturday used to be, some days I used to have like, uh, like a, a football tournament, a football match in the morning, athletics in the afternoon and swimming in the evening. You know, it was just the same on a Sunday. So it was just, that's the way I grew up. That's what I, that's what I loved. Some people say that like, I missed out on my childhood, you know, going out and enjoying myself. But that, that was my childhood. I absolutely loved it. So so that's what I used to do. Yeah. Right. And in terms of so, you know, we obviously spoke about the fact that your your um both your parents were also, you know, athletes and you know there there, there was this you know, this general feeling of of, of uh, activity and, and sports and whatnot in in the household. Did that take away from the fun a little bit? Did you did you feel pressure to have to deliver and perform at you know the, a, a certain level because of the expectation of your parents? Did they ever put that kind of pressure on you? No, I, I didn't feel that at all. Um, the, the, at the same time, they were always there pushing me if I needed to be pushed. It was it was one of them that they didn't say pressure me and say you have to do this, you have to do that. If I didn't want to do it, then that was my own choice. I didn't have to do it. But I, if I, if I was one of them, that, which I was, that I wanted to do it, then they would help and back me and, and push me as much as I, I possibly could. You know, I used to have them. This is no joke. I, people laugh about this, but I, when I was there, when we were younger, like I've got an older brother as well, and um, we used to go over the park, local park. My dad used to get out like some old fishing rods and uh, you know, nets, and we used to whack them in the ground. Yeah, my my dad used to pass me the ball from the middle. I used to get the ball, dribble through these fishing rods around these cones, 
and then run down the line, cross it in. My brother used to be trying to head it in, and my mum was in goal. And that's no joke. Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no <laughs> wonder that like, you're one of the best one v one attackers in the Premier League during your time. Now we oh, see where yeah. it all came from. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, just so incredible. You said, you said that it was always going to be football for you. So, what was your early memories? You know, growing up as a football fan, and who was your idols? Um, oh, growing up, um, I have to say I probably had two that when I was growing up were, were my ones. They were it was always Gary Lineker was the first one that sort of came to to that I used to sort of watch over those DVDs and the England the forty eight goals for England. That was one of the DVD or oh, sorry videos back then that I used to uh, <laughs> that I used to watch. Uh, but then it was Giggs. Giggs was always the one, uh, just purely and simply for myself as well being in that position. Um, he, you know, he was a proper role model in, in the way that he used to dedicate his time for football and, um, the, what his tricks and the way he used to play the game. So I used to watch all of his, I think he had like, uh, so many like soccer school sort of type videos as well that I used to just watch. And, and obviously luckily enough for me, I was able to then grace the field with him and play against him quite a few times. And like, did you, you know, watch gigs and say, look, I want to, be that type of player I want to be that type of 1v1 winger that beats his man and gets the ball into the box um, I, t- I don't know I think maybe subconsciously I probably did learn a lot of that f- through watching him but at the same time I sort of had my own sort of way you know he was I was I'm you know I'm not naturally left footed I was always a right footed player um, and then I, I sort of got into the team as a 17 year old at Gillingham uh, and the, the 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 spot that came up was left mid, so I went left mid, and then that's how I then had to work work on my left foot all the time to improve it and improve it and keep working and working to so that both feet I was able to use for for crossing. So that's how I sort of started uh, on the left mid. That's how I ended up my whole career. I played on the left wing. Wow, because wow. that, why that's so crazy? Because I I literally always thought you were left footed. Because yeah. the, the way that you would cross, it, it seems so natural to you. And and so th- was that both um, a, a product of, you know, that being the, the position that was available, but also you putting in the hours and the hard graft away from the, um, the sort of the, the, the pitch as well? Did you have to do a lot of training on your own to get your left foot up to that level? Yeah, loads. I mean, the, I say the obviously at Gillingham, I, I used to do loads and try because that was when I first got in the team. So I had to improve my left foot. But uh, the biggest thing was when I went to Wolves, I had like uh, amazing manager, and, but the coach as well called Terry Connor. He used to take me out before training all the time to just work on like delivery of crosses and where and putting crosses and just different techniques. And that. so I have to give a lot of credit to, to him for getting me out. Obviously, I wanted to do it, but he would be there um, taking me through it. And I also had another amazing person that was there as our fitness coach was Tony Daly who was an unbelievable player who played on the left side who was right-footed so I had an unbelievable um, couple of people to influence my career and, and improve improve me as a player. Yeah throughout your career you know at Wolves um, we see that you you know accumulated a lot of games you know your first season you finished seventh obviously you started 17 games then the next season you're you know, games started to increase. Um, you had a productive five years at Wolves. How much of an influence was Mick McCarthy to you during this time? Huge, 
huge. Um, obviously, when I first I, I, I met him, funny enough, in the summer um, before I'd signed because I was I, my contract with Gillingham had finished, um, and I was sort of um, I, I Wolves sort of came in, and so I met Mick McCarthy over in Portugal. And, you know, you just sort of, you get a feel as soon as I met him, you know, I, I honestly knew straight away that's where I wanted to go. He's got that presence about him that you don't quite know where you are um, because he's got, he, he's obviously got good banter, but he's he's got that aura about him that you don't quite know whether you should be doing anything or if you're doing something wrong, he's going to tell you. So he, he just had that presence and, um, and he had a massive influence in my career. A huge, huge. He, um, him and Terry Connor, they just had such a good uh, understanding together and it was always, it, it worked. And he, you know, he had a massive, massive influence in my career. And I, I owe him an awful lot and I still speak to him now. Yeah, because I, I remember that Wolves team and they used to cause um, a lot of Premier League teams some troubles. But I just want to dive a bit more into that team. Um, I remember in 2011 and 2012, you scored um, eight league goals in 37 games. Um, and your form, you know, got you a call up into the England squad and you actually made one appearance. Um, and obviously during that period, I recall you being linked with Liverpool. But I just want to talk about, you know, the players that were in that team because I remember you, you know, playing with Kevin Doyle, Wayne Hennessy, Kyle Henry in the centre of midfield, um, Stephen Fletcher that knocked in 12 goals that season. Um, but the one player I want to ask you about is um, Matt Doherty because at that time he was around 1920 and now today we see him as like one of the best um, fullbacks in the country. Did you see it from early that he was going to, you know, go to the top? Well, funny enough, um, we went on a pre-season tour in Ireland um, and we played a game. This was a few years before that. Uh, we played a game. Uh, he played right back up against me. I play, well, I think I played 45 or, you know, I don't know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes or something like that. It was pre-season. Um, and I played against him and they were all, they were all uh, sort of watching him, I think, already. They'd already obviously seen him before. Yeah. And then after that, because he'd he done well, uh, he's got a good frame. He's like a good size. He was quite he was quite big like that before when he was young, young. So um, he'd done really well in the game. And then after that, I think they signed him. And then you could see then after that, he'd come over um, and then was training full-time with us. And you could see he had the ability. Um, he just had... You know, Kevin Foley, who was in front of him, who was probably the most, un I don't know if you say underrated, he was always gave you a seven. If it wasn't a seven, it was an eight. Mm. It was one of them. He was so steady every single week. He was Mr. Reliable. Uh, and then we and we had other players like Ronald Zubar came in as well. So he was yeah. always just, yeah, yeah. just just below just below it then. But obviously, you can see now he's just a fantastic talent. And he he's one of their biggest outlets I would say apart from Traore he's yeah. been he's been incredible especially the last few years that one from Cody the big diag over the docks has been yeah um, yeah it's, it's been the most influence in their play you know what Matt I, I wanted to ask a um uh, a question um and it wasn't about uh Wolves specifically but just an observation that I made that I wanted to know if, if, if you'd picked up as well so looking at your career it seems as though some of the like the highlight um, uh, periods and 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 instances um, and occasions happened against clubs that you would later go on and join. So, 
Your Dude. first goal, if 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 I recall correctly, for uh, Gillingham came in a, a a game against Wolves, and you and you guys won um, and, and beat them in that game. And then yeah. your Premier League debut came up against uh, West Ham in in two thousand and nine. I want I wondered yeah. if you ever noticed or or if anything like that ever sort of you know played in your mind like you know this is looking back at you know my career so far these have been sort of key periods and, and, and moments for me and and it always yeah. happened to be I don't know if it's coincidence or something but it always ended up being the, the club that I was going to move to next basically yeah I mean the the, the Gillingham one was was funny because um I think we were Gillingham we were on a bad run at the time and um and uh, we I think we went down to 10 men as well and I scored and it was a massive win for Gillingham. And then I think Dave Jones got the sack after that for Wolves. And then, um, yeah, I, I remember signing at, at Wolves and everyone was on me like going, you got Dave Jones the sack. Yeah, I remember you scored. And I was like, I was like, whoa, that was my first goal. Yeah, it's nothing to do with me. <laughs> but I also, when I obviously then was at Wolves, I scored against um, West Ham at Upton Park in a crucial, massive win for Wolves. Um, and that's obviously then went on to then go and, and play for West Ham. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it, these are just, uh, I don't know, whether you say coincidence, but funny things that uh, that happen in your career. Yeah, so I wanted to, um, you know, go back to, you know, the latter stages of your time at Wolves. You know, it was a disappointing season, you know, relegation. And I remember during the season, Mick McCarthy got sacked. And, you know, there was allegations of, you know, dressing room unrest. I think Roger Johnson, who was the captain at the time, you know, he was reported to come into training drunk. And, you know, the whole squad um, harmony seemed to be broken. Mm. What actually happened in that team? Like, because from the outside looking in, it kind of looked like a mess. I think there was a few results. You lost that 5-0 or 5-1. I remember a game against Fulham, you know, when it looked like everything had just broken. So, like, if you could just give us an insight into what was happening during that time. Yeah, I mean, that season towards towards the end, because I, it's so difficult um, getting points uh, in the Premier League. I think you, you underestimate how hard it is. There's so many good teams. Mm. Um, and we were, we were not on a good run. We were losing games. It was sometimes just by the odd silly mistake that, uh, that cost us dearly. Um, and the change room was... It's so difficult. There's the, the the season before there wasn't really any any sort of change. I'd say then, as you said, Roger come in and take over as captain, which obviously didn't didn't go down too well with like Carl and a few of the other players that obviously have been there a long long time. Um, and then results don't go for you. It's it's difficult. People are unhappy if they're not playing. People are unhappy if other people are playing in in the team when they feel they should be playing. And then obviously we we lost the 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 sort of nail in the coffin was unfortunately for Mick was when we played West Brom at home and we got beat and it wasn't a very nice result um, and he got he got the sack and after that it's just sort of it it I think we'd already not in free fall but we just found it really difficult to find results um, but Terry Connor took over and. To be fair, I, I think there was 13 games left or 12 games left. I can't mm. remember exactly. And I scored seven or eight goals in that time. Yeah. So it was a it was a really sort of, I don't know, <laughs> successful period for me. But obviously it was, it was just, yeah, it was really, really hard to take because a lot of the lads had been there for, you know, I was there for five years. 
uh, at that point. And you know, quite a few of the other players were there longer than me. So it's it's really hard to see the club and see the performances and see the players that just we just couldn't couldn't get what we needed to stay up. Because just to you know, butcher us on on Deji's question, as fans, we see like you know reports that the team have down tools. Um, you know, some of the players are not playing for the manager anymore. But I always you know saw you or viewed you as one of the better players in that team. And did you? at the back of your mind, think, even if we do get relegated, I'm going to get a move to a Premier League club? I think I can 100% tell you that not one player down tools for Mick McCarthy. Mm. 100%. He, he, was, he was loved in that, in that change room at that club. Uh, he, he did not lose the change room, I can definitely say that. But when you then look at it and you're thinking, well, results aren't going well, you, everyone, everyone's out to, to play as best they possibly can. And like me, I I, you know, I put in some really good performances from there until the end of the season as well. I carried on how I, I you know, nothing changed in me as in I don't feel like I played any, put any more effort in because I'd been doing that all, all the season. But I managed to keep on playing, putting in performances and that ultimately got me uh, a move back to the Premier League. Yeah, so talking about that move, you know, to the Premier League, I remember during the summer, there was a lot of interest in you and obviously you ended up going to West Ham. But to get through to that move, you actually had to put in a transfer request. Did you feel you had to put in that transfer request to move because the club were playing hardball or what actually went on? It's, it was a really difficult um, scenario. When you went back to pre-season, I know that there had been a lot of interest in myself. There had been bids. And the club were rejecting them, which is, you know, absolutely fine. Um, and then going into pre-season, I'd, I'd done everything uh, possible that I could do to make sure that I was in the best shape. And I, I did every single training session. I did everything professionally. I played in the first couple of games of the season. Um, and then it just got to the point, it was right at the last knockings. That I I knew that another bid had come in. I think there was a, quite a few bids that had come in. And so, I which knew other that teams that was, were interested in in you as well? Um, I, I think Fulham were interested in me at the time. I'm not sure about the other clubs. Um, I just know for a fact that from obviously the club saying that they've rejected another bid, they've rejected another bid, and I just I just you know as a, as a player you just you don't know how long your career is and you want to play at the top level as long as you possibly can. And I just felt that that was my last um, opportunity. It was pretty much the, I think it was the day before the transfer window or uh, closed or something. So I knew it was like last knocking. So um, I went in and spoke to Jez and uh, we came out that that price was acceptable for, for Wolves. You, you, you know what I wanted to ask, Matt, was a, a, around that. Now, you were clearly uh, a favourite to both uh, players, you, you know, your, your um, other players in the team and, 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 and fans. And, and just before that whole period where, you know, the, you, you had the uh, transfer request and whatnot, you'd obviously won uh, Players uh, Player of the Year and Supporters Player of the Year. So did was that also um, a factor that made it difficult in that period that, you know, you, you've, you've had some, you know, individual success despite the team not doing particularly well and you're clearly loved at the club, but, you know, you want to stay in the Premier League. Did that, did that make that, that decision a bit more difficult for you? 
extremely. I absolutely loved my time at Wolves. I, uh, I really, obviously, I, I did not want to leave. Um, the fans were always amazing, absolutely amazing. I still have such a really, really good rapport with them, and I thank them for everything. Um, as I said, they they've been they were amazing for me, and I still speak to all of the lads. You know, we we still speak on a regular basis because we had such a good bond. Uh, so it was it was the hardest decision to make, but I felt for myself and my family and my football career that I needed to um, just get back and play in the Premier League and. And that's what we that's what happened in the end. Obviously, um, you you made the move to to West Ham. Um, how do you feel your time at West Ham went? Because from the outside looking in, it seemed, I would say, you kind of you know lost your confidence, lost your form. Would you would you agree with that? I think the first year and a half went uh, went really went really well. I think mm. the first sort of year, I'd I put in the uh, most crosses and most uh, successful crosses mm-hmm. in in Europe uh, that that season yeah. and the season before. 171 and 42. Yeah, so you know, I, I felt like I couldn't have done too much, I hadn't done too bad for mm. doing my sort of I suppose, you know, I, I could have definitely done with more goals, um, but you know, as a role in my in the team, I think for creating opportunities for others to score, I was the best in Europe. So that's not a that's not a bad start to to a to a full season at a new club. Um, after that, I think the it was difficult to get a full run at, at the in the in the team. I think um, I was in and out. I think as you say, confidence does take a big. Uh, it, it, it's huge in football, especially for attacking players. Um, and when it's not quite going going for you, it's it's hard to to keep trying and keep doing. Which I did. I I didn't stop doing the things that I should be doing. It's yeah. just it's just um it's just a, it makes things a little bit more difficult. And and then after that, I I feel like the team sort of started to play a different way. We um we then for a while didn't play with wide men. Uh, which obviously made myself be uh, sitting on the bench for a while, um, but ultimately I, I do look back and with fond memories of West Ham, especially you know it couldn't have picked a better game to score uh, to score in against uh, against Tottenham away in the in the cup. <laughs> so it, as for for any West Ham fans, it's it's always a it's always a good one to to have scored in. I feel my mates, you know, see as a, a hero for that goal. One of my West Ham exactly, season yeah. holder friends. <laughs> exactly. That, that's uh, as goals to score in that has got to be one of the best ones for a West Ham player. Yeah. So, Matt, you know, you spent five years at Wolves. So how was it coming into the West Ham dress? I know at Wolves, you would have been a settled member of the camp. You would have known everyone. But when you look from the outside going in, you know, West Ham had some big characters. Mark Noble... Now, Kevin Nolan, Andy Carroll, how was the set of lads that you actually joined? Did you integrate well or how did you feel? Yeah, the thing is, like for for, for me, I, I missed the pre-season when everyone sort of goes away and you get, you, you sort of have like a team bonding sort of thing, a trip while you're away in pre-season. So that was, that was sort of annoying that you, you miss, you miss that. But at the same time, the lads were brilliant. I have to say, you know, they're all, they'd all been there quite a, quite a while. Except for Andy, obviously he'd just come on loan, but um, they were all there for a long time, 
and uh, they sort of brought me in. They sort of showed me the ropes, as it were, um, and they were a great, great bunch, really good. Um, especially, you know, like the, the the captain at the time was Kevin Nolan, and and he was brilliant. He was a players. Uh, players captain you know if there was ever any anything that you needed he would be the one that would take it upon himself to go and like have have it out with whoever it was whether he you know he felt it was right or not he was doing it for the players so it, it made it a lot it made it very easy to to get into the, the dressing room and and be around everyone what i wanted to ask um matt is you know, it's, it's obviously well documented the uh, issues that you've had with um, injuries throughout your career. And of course, most notably um, at, at Norwich, um, you know, which which kept you out for, for quite some time. What I wanted to ask is, do you feel that it it also pretty much started um, back at Gillingham? You know, I, I know you had a, a hernia operation which kept you out for, for five weeks. So if if you could pin everything back to you know when the injury woes had started would would you pick that being that that the pivotal moment then in your career no i would pick when i was at norwich when i went into a block tackle with yaya tori yeah, and i'd yeah. done done my deep fiber mcl and i i don't know why i don't normally tackle that well anyway <laughs> so i've got no idea why why i decided that that would be the opportune moment to go into a 50-50 block tackle with the biggest player on the pitch. With Yaya Torre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, if I could do anything, that would be the thing I would stop because after that, because that when I went before that, obviously that tackle, that was, I'd have to say probably the fittest and the best shape I've ever been in when I was at Norwich. I started there in incredible form, scored on my debut, like the VO2. Um, sorry. Yeah. My VO2 was like, was just 71 or 72 yeah, you know, I was I was so fit. I was completely in the best shape I was uh, in my life. And then to then go into that, and I had my knee, uh, which I I sort of go through it all with you. It was I'd done my medial. I got myself back in the correct time. Got myself playing till the end of the season. And I kept on saying that my knee sore. It's not right. Got to the end of the season. Had all these injections through the summer. Come back pre-season. Uh, did all the training and then I was like my knees really sore like I couldn't even kick the ball with my right foot uh went in had the surgery just to sort of that basically they were going to just go in because I couldn't see anything on the scan that opened me up and my medial wasn't attached properly so <laughs> had to have the operation got myself back play I got myself back fit um first day of pre uh, first training session got played with the team got inside went for a shoot uh, and then I got smashed on my ankle uh, and hurt my ankle. And then uh, again, was like, oh, I've been out for so long. I was like, oh, I'll leave it. Like it'll be fine. Had uh, scans. It just said there would be some fluid. Uh, played for the rest of the season. Um, and then couldn't handle it anymore. It was too sore. Had uh, <laughs> pre-season was like, it's too sore. I can't do anything. They said, oh, we'll just do like a, a scope to see. Sort of what's wrong opened opened me up. I thought I was going to be out for about four weeks. It turns out I was out for eight months because I had uh, I had to have a, a micro fracture of my ankle. All the cartilage are just on the scan. It was all sort of down, but as soon as you open it up, it all just flopped off. So I had to have a micro fracture of my ankle. And then when I was coming back from that, I picked up IT band friction because I had all of my operations were on my right side. So. I had to build my legs back up and then they shrunk all again. I had to build them up again and I just start running slightly different to what I did before. So I picked up that. So I had to have that cleaned up. And then eventually 
I got myself back fit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, goodness me. Yeah. I I mean, when you get all those injuries from the fans outside looking in, we just see Matt Jarvis out for three, four weeks or four months. Yeah. But how is it mentally? Like, how much of a toil on on you mentally does it take? It's it's horrendous. I'm not going to lie. That's... That them sort of two two and a half years at Norwich, not sorry sorry at sorry with Norwich, but just mentally and fitness wise, was the worst I've in my whole life. Like it was the hardest point I've ever had in my life. You know, mm. there were days when I was in pain. I used to just walk, you know, go home. I was there on my own uh, a lot of the time, um, and used to just cry because wow. it was it was horrendous. I couldn't walk without being in pain. And then, you know, people just message me saying, oh, what are you doing? Like, I can't believe you're injured again. And I'm like, well, mm. look, I've, I've been in, you know, pretty much six full days every single week, busting my ass to get myself back fit. I'm doing everything I can possibly can do. And I'm still not there. And I'm still, and then everyone's on your back. But what can you do? That's, that's the way it is for being a professional footballer. I did everything I know in my, I can look back and say, I, I've done absolutely everything. I possibly could have done to get myself fit at, for at Norwich. It just didn't happen, and unfortunately, it, it it was really really annoying because I started so well. But that's the way that's the way the football is, unfortunately. And you've just got to mentally get on with it. And I've yeah. sort of got got round the other side of it now, and I'm, I'm fit and I'm back playing. So it's you've just got to take with the rough for the smooth, unfortunately. Definitely. It's all part and parcel of the game. But Matt, final question for me, and it's, you know, about your England career. Um, Obviously, you made one cap um, versus Ghana and the game ended 1-1 in Wembley Stadium. You came on, um, you know, for Jack Wilshere. How was that experience and how was it, you know, getting to the top of your game, playing with world-class elite players such as Wayne Rooney, Steven Gerrard, yeah. etc. That's a dream come true. I don't think you can put any other thing on it. As a kid, playing football, everyone wants to play for their country. And I was so... like, Oh, don't get me wrong. I worked so hard to get myself there. Um, and if you look at the, the wide players that were playing at that time, you had Ashley Young, Stuart Downing, Theo Wilcott, Aaron Lennon, you know, all of these top, top players... And I I got in and, and and played and I'm I'm absolutely delighted. It was incredible going in there. I didn't really know any of the lads, so it was like going back to to school the first day. I didn't quite know where to sit and you know that sort of thing at dinner. But they were brilliant and to to you know obviously you know, would love to have got more caps, but to get my to get my cap at Wembley in front of eighty five thousand fans against Ghana, all my friends and family there. I just you couldn't have picked a better a better day to to play for your country. And and funny enough, the kit man was a was a Wolves fan, and he got um, Asimo Jean scored in the game. So yeah, he I was got actually his, there. Yeah, yeah. So he he got his shirt for me, and then I've obviously got my shirt signed by all the lads. So I've got that in a frame, which is uh, which is a really nice memento. Yeah. So Matt, I just wanted to ask. Um, obviously, you're known as a traditional winger. And nowadays yeah. we see the wingers like Mane, Sterling, you know, getting 20, 25 goals a game. Yeah. I mean, a season, yeah. should I say. So how do you think your yeah. game would have matched up in this modern, you know, era of football? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, the, the wide players nowadays, they all, everyone sort of plays with a three. So your wide players now are uh, sort of in a position where they, 
they have to make up the striker because you know most predominantly back in the day it was four four two, so you had two strikers. So you always have to get like your other wide man, whether it be left or right. They've always got to get in the box. They've always got to add goals to their game. So that's that's the biggest difference I think from when I was playing in the Prem to to now. You you you'd want to play and get more goals and and definitely I would have to adapt my game to to make sure that I was adding in more goals uh, rather than trying to to get more assists. Fair point. Um, now I I had a a question that I wanted to um uh, ask you, Matt, and that was you know earlier on in the interview we were speaking about the impact that uh, Mick McCarthy had on on your career, and and you know you 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 say that you know, today he he's probably been the manager that's had the biggest impact, um, but you've also um sort of uh spoken about um you know your your time working with Alex Neal and 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 the fact that you you wish you had had an opportunity to work more with with uh Daniel Farker because you know you were you were injured during the period that he came and and sort of revolutionized things at, at Norwich um so what was what was it about his approach and his style of management that was very different for you I think for me, it uh, it would have just suited me down to the ground, just the way the team played. You know, he wanted the team, the um, the 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 team to have possession. They wanted to have the ball all the time. He wanted the the wide players as such. To he always sort of wanted sort of maybe sort of one player out wide, which would hopefully would have been me. Um, and being able to just know where everyone was, get into them little pockets of space, but also be able to have the wide players high, make sure you running in on goal. Having the ball all the time is is huge in 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 modern day football. Like when when we were in the Premier League with with Wolves, we hardly had the ball and we were just on counter attacking because you know the teams were just dominating possession. Then when you're in a team that's dominating possession, you have more opportunity to get on the ball. You have more opportunities to get chances at goal. It's just it was just a real. Um, different way of, of of playing, and and obviously they they did extremely well. Yeah, so Matt, just segueing from um, Budge's question. Obviously, this is the final one from me. At your time at Norwich, you know you played with some talented players: Ben Godfrey, James Madison, who we see ripping up, you know, the Premier League. Was it evident early on that these two are going to be top top players? Yeah, I mean, Madders, when we signed him from Coventry, he they sort of he went back on loan, but they had to come in and train a couple of days with us. Um, everyone that signed, I think there was a couple. And, you know, it's that first training session, you know, when someone's just, uh, you know, someone gets the ball and they just wrap it into someone just to just sort of test him out, just to sort of see yeah. what he is. And it, he, it, 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 it had that one one touch, he just killed it and turned. And you're just like, okay, okay. And then in... in, in, in <laughs> Yeah, and then um, we did like a keep ball session and someone just wrapped it into him again and someone was closing down and he just does exactly what he does in the Prem all the time. He gets it on the half turn and shifts to the right mm. and he just was gone and everyone was like, okay, this guy's got a little bit. You know, he was he was like small and skinny at the time, but he's obviously his frame's filled out. He's 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 got a lot more strength about him and he's he's a top top player and he he will be a top top player for England as well because he he's got unbelievable ability yeah the irony behind that story is that I remember um hearing Norwich's technical director Stuart Weber and he yeah. said exactly the same thing about um, Madison that he, the way he received the ball he couldn't believe it um very quickly last one from me um recently 
or should I say yesterday when this podcast is recorded, um, the players um, made um, a fund and the players together um, for the NHS. Do you have anything to say about that? Because, you know, a lot of the media give, you know, footballers a hard time sometimes saying that they're not contributing enough. Yeah, I think yeah, a lot's been a lot's been said, and they've done it, and I think that's absolutely fantastic from the players. You know, they 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 are role models, and it's 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 a really amazing thing to do for the NHS, especially at the, at the moment. They're doing an incredible job. Um, there's lots of different people that have been saying in the in the press about you know it, why is it just footballers? Cause, you know, mm. They're not you know they they yes they earn an obscene amount of money, um, but there's other people that. Are, Earning a hell of a lot more than 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 Premier League players, but it's it is what it is, and it's fantastic that that players are in this position that, that are able to help out and uh, and to to give something to the NHS who are doing an incredible job. Yeah, absolutely, um, and certainly echo those, those sentiments. And and Matt, I just wanted to wrap up things with a final question for for myself, um, and and that is uh, you. Uh, were the fir- the third footballer uh, to appear on the cover of uh, um, of the Attitude magazine, uh, following in the footsteps of David Beckham in in two thousand and two and and Freddie Jumberg in in two thousand and six, and and the reason for that was was quite powerful. Um, now of course um, you know you're 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 married and you've got you've got two kids, but essentially what you were doing was was making a stand for um, you know uh, uh, gay uh, footballers and, and encouraging them to come out. And I guess what I really wanted to ask you was, you know, looking back um, when, when, when you did that and, and, until now, do you do you feel as though there is there has been sort, sort of significant strides in encouraging, um, you know, uh, players to come out and, and, and feel comfortable with coming out? Do you feel that there is enough being done to encourage um, players to feel comfortable in, in doing so? Or do you feel there still is quite a way uh, in, in, in seeing uh, that come to the fore? Um, I think I think with that, that's uh, there's there's always room to to him to do more. Always, um, there's it, there, there does need to be more. But from when I did it back then, I mean, it was it was a massive taboo. Um, it, I, it, there was a, I don't know. It got a lot of press, but I don't know how much was good, how much was bad. It was uh, it, it it was quite. I didn't quite realize how how big it was going to be. I just I I, I honestly thought it was going to be. You know, a really you know, good, a really sort of positive message to to get out and to to help. Um, and it sort of, I just, I just didn't realise how big it was going to be. Um, and so since since then, I think there has been a lot that's changed. You've got the rainbow laces that have come out in in football. Um, that are all these different campaigns that are trying to to help um, and to to make. You know, someone be, feel more comfortable if they wanted to come out uh, as a as a gay player. I just think it's um, there's obviously still a lot more to to do because I, I still think it's going to be at the moment. I still feel like it's it's very difficult for for players to do that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And do, do, I don't know. Do you, do you reckon you know once you do finally hang up your boots, um, you know that there, there, there might be a, a gig in in modelling for you? 
in the future. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I, I, think, I think if I was a few uh, few inches taller, then maybe. I, 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 don't see, I, don't, I don't see many five foot eight and a little bit of a model these days. <laughs> Fair play. Look, honest, honestly, Matt, it's been, it's been an absolutely superb afternoon with you. Um, we really do appreciate it. You know, we uh, we, uh, we had the little one in the, um, in, yeah. in the background joining the interview. Um, yeah, so she's just woken up. <laughs> <laughs> so we know you're, you're you're a busy guy but we really do appreciate you you taking out the time it's, it's been fantastic we've enjoyed it and, and we know our listeners Pleasure. will as well so we're, we're going to call it a day there listeners thank you very much for listening in uh up until this point of, of the interview um as ever you can follow us on twitter if you're not yet following us at podcast underscore tbg you can also follow us on Instagram at pod underscore TVG. If you, if you haven't yet subscribed, please make sure you do subscribe to our YouTube channel. We've got uh, content on there to keep you occupied and, and a lot more uh, coming up too. A reminder that you can um, listen to our episodes on Spotify, on SoundCloud and on uh, Apple Podcasts. And if you are listening in on Apple Podcasts, please make sure you leave a five star review. Your engagement uh, does really um, help us grow and, and move the platform forward. So we're going to catch you on the next episode. I, um, Dot, have I, have I got the stamp of approval? Have I covered everything? All good. All good, bro. Fantastic. Until the next episode, guys, over and out. Peace. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.